We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. It's all part of a great big section that started over in chapter 12, verse 20, and runs to the end of the letter. And it's a section that I called the process of sanctification. If you would please follow with the reading of the word. This is the third time I am coming to you. Every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I have previously said that when present the second time, and though now absent, I say in advance to those who have sinned in the past and to all the rest as well, that if I come again, I will not spare anyone. Father, help us to hear the words of the Apostle Paul. Help us to understand the age that we are in. Father, help us to understand the battle that rages and is unrelenting day in and day out. And Father, I pray that your people called by your name will stand in your truth. Father, cling tightly to your word. Understand that you are near and walk in the glory of the King of kings and Lord of lords. May each of us, Father, have a passion to stand in your grace. Father, may each of us have a passion for your word and a passion for prayer. And Father, as we deal with such a time as this, may your glory be radiated through your people. In Christ's name, amen. I shared with you as we're moving through this, verse 19, he makes this statement that all of you being upbuilded, beloved. He wanted to strengthen the Corinthians. There had been a reconciliation had taken place. We see that in chapter 7. And then in chapter 10, he starts dealing with spiritual conflict. What is spiritual warfare? I mean, there is books upon books upon books written about spiritual warfare. And very few of them really have a clue. Spiritual warfare is very simply truth versus a lie. I, I really wish it was more complicated than that. But that's all it is. And it's been going on from the time that Eve was asked, has God said? It's that simple. All right. And from that time on, we have been inundated with lies. All right. So in essence, I can say that it's truth versus a lie. But the battle, spiritual warfare is of the mind. I want to deal with speculations and lofty things raised up against the true knowledge of Christ. And that's the battle. One of the things that I have learned in all of my years, whether it is the time just 35 years ago I started walking with the Lord, or whether it is what I'm doing now, is that Satan, my study of God's Word, is that Satan wants us stupid. He wants to be able to come to every single one of us and say, has God said? And as soon as he does that, if you don't know what this book says, you have just birthed a seed of doubt. A seed of doubt. And you know what? You're setting up to be defeated. Because I hear a lot of stuff that our God said, you know, because everybody knows God helps those who help themselves. Okay, 
The great prophet said that. Ben Franklin. Okay? So, but you hear this stuff all the time, and it ain't working. All right? So, I just wanted you to know this, because I I, kind of moved into this text just now, but I I want to bring you something that I stumbled upon. In 1790, that's like three or four years ago, the President of the United States is required by the Constitution to give the State of the Union message. Right? This message is given to the whole Congress, okay, the Supreme Court, and the American people. This message is designed, and the reason that this is a constitutional mandate, it is the President give an outline of his concerns for the country, his goals for the country, his agenda for the country, And what is the priorities of the nation in the year to come? And he does it every year as president of the United States. Okay? With that, let me give you a couple of verses that you can chew on. Romans chapter 13, 1 through 7. 13 of Romans, 1 through 7. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnations upon themselves. For the rulers are not to cause fear for good behavior, but for evil." Do you want to have fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. That would be the government. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the, the, the government does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore... It is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, a tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Okay? First Peter chapter two, verse 17 says the same thing. Listen, I'm an American. I'm thankful to be an American as a loyal citizen to the United States. And as a Christian, we should have a concern about the state of our country. All right. I do know the text that my citizenship is in heaven. I understand that emphatically. But I also know that I am here for such a time as this. And so I should pay attention to what is going on in my government, whether it is my city government, my county government, my state government or my federal government. I should be concerned about in Philippians chapter three, verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven. 
from which also we eagerly wait for a savior and for the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19. So we are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Last week, I gave you a state of the church message. What does the church look like? I remember hearing a a man, well, is that Olford's preaching? And he says, I want to preach on a word, on a statement that is being said thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of times, every day, every language, every country. All right. And I thought, well, this is going to be interesting. And he says, it's this. How are you? Think about this for a second. What would you If you saw Jesus and you asked him, how are you? What do you suppose his response would be? I can tell you what his response is. My head is fine. My body's a mess. Truthfully, the present state of the church should be a drastic concern for every one of us. Many are calling for revival. Okay. The only way you're going to have revival is go through the process that I'm laying out in these two chapters. There isn't a plan B. The first step to that revival is repentance. Repentance. We saw it. We saw the pain of repentance. Okay. It hurts. Okay, we saw the problem with repentance. Okay, the next step that we have is discipline. Anybody stepping up for that? What do we do as Christians to those who sin and refuse to repent? What do we do? Okay, that's why we're moving in to the motive of discipline. What is the motive? Now, listen, I have been around long enough to see a lot of people want to use discipline and their motive is impure. A lot of people want to point out other people's sin because they don't want to look at their own. We've always heard this, right? Judge not lest you be judged, right? Have you read the whole text? You have a beam in your eye is going to get the speck out of your brother's eye. He's not saying don't judge, but what is your motive? All right. And are you in condition to do that? That gets old right there, buddy. I have seen this over and over and over and over again. People who think, well, I've been in church a long time. I can point out everybody's. That ain't the issue. I told you the seven churches of Asia Minor. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. Seven churches of Asia Minor. Two passed. Five were called to repentance. Now, it wasn't that the two Smyrna and Philadelphia were pure and perfect. 
It was that when sin showed up, they repented. The others had sin show up and they ignored it. What was going on in Corinth? Paul had gone back for a second trip. Nothing had been dealt with after two letters. And it hurt him. What is the motive for discipline? Listen, I've got three. All right. There's probably more, but I've got three. But the one I want to deal with today, I believe, is crucial. Okay. Uh, Of the utmost importance when it comes to dealing with discipline. When it comes, you know what? I've had people, when I preach a sermon, they'll come to me and, and, and they're hurt afterwards and, and they'll say, you know what? That one got me. Okay. Now I've also had people say, you know, every time I come and listen to you, you make me sad, so I'm leaving. Okay. Now that, that, that ain't my job to make you happy. <laughs> okay. My job is to say, this is what it says. And if you don't like it, Take it up with the author, I guess. I don't know. You know, I've argued with him before. It always really works. Okay. But what would be the greatest motive for church discipline? Well, I found it. Anytime I find something that's repeated in Scripture, the more times it's repeated, it means two things. This is very important to God and you're stupid. Okay, because I have to keep repeating it. So I'm not going to go through all of these verses. I'm just going to give you a handful of them. All right, you can go through them and I'll go slow. Everybody's getting their pins warmed up. Leviticus 11. Leviticus 11, 44 and 45. Leviticus 19, verse 2. Leviticus 20, verse 7. And 26, verse 26. Exodus 22, verse 31. Numbers 15, verse 40. Deuteronomy 6, 17 and 18. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. First Peter 1, 15 and 16 says this. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves, also in all of your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy... For I am holy. Chapter 2 of First Peter, verse 9 and following. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people. But now you are the people of God and you are. But you had not received mercy, but you now have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which you, they slander you as evildoers, 
they may also, because of your good deeds, observe them and glorify God in the day of visitation. Be holy, for I am holy. That probably is the foundational tenet for discipline. Because, see, when I think about sanctification, okay, another word for sanctification is holy. All right? But another word for sanctification and holy is set apart. Let's set it apart. Okay? You're hard-pressed to find that in the church today that the congregation is different than the world. And yet, it's not an issue. Nobody seems to lose any sleep over it. In this letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves, sanctification holy, set apart, cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. See, God Himself disciplines us. Do you know why? Have you ever thought about it? Why would God discipline us? So we can share His holiness. That's, why do we discipline our children? Because they deserve it. <laughs> I was bored. My cable went out. I'll discipline my children. Okay? We discipline our children so that it is better for them. Job chapter 5, verse 17. We all know the story of Job. Job chapter 5, we're early in it. Okay? The, the verbiage hasn't begun from the friends wishing to, you know. Let me explain to you, Job, why you're suffering as you are. Here's what it says. Behold, how happy is the man whom God reproves. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. Psalm 94.12. Blessed is the man whom you chasten, O Lord. Okay? In his first letter that we've studied, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 32. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. The Lord chastens and scourges those that He loves. You know what scourging is, right? That's more than a belt. Alright? But I want you to think about it because if I look at the motives for discipline, it is to bring about a person who can be in the holiness of the Lord. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, we look at things, there are times in the study of the words, in the teaching of the word, in the preaching of the word, that it hurts our feelings. Alright? But did you ever think that if it's hurting your feelings, that's a good thing? 
Because he only reproves those that he loves. I mean, if you're cruising along and your sin doesn't bother you, do you realize what a dangerous place you're in? You may have deceived yourself thinking that you're one of his. Many will call me Lord, Lord. Did we not do signs and wonders? Did we not prophesy in your name? And the Lord will look at them and say, away from me. I never knew you. That should put the fear into just about everybody. Because it's funny. Maybe I just noticed this and no one else has ever noticed this. But it's funny what I've noticed. It seems like other people's sins bother us more than ours. Maybe that's just something that I, 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 I made up. But it's easier for me to say, well, that person there is a donkey. Okay? But if your sins don't bother you, you've got a problem. If the Holy Spirit is living within you, and your sin doesn't bother you, what's the Holy Spirit doing? He's on vacation. Or maybe he ain't there. And if he ain't there, what does that mean? You're not his. Even the Lord himself. Revelations chapter 3, verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Interesting, don't you think? And yet it's just discipline. That's what it is. As part of the process of sanctification. Listen, positionally, all right, at the moment of your justification, okay, what was that? That was that moment that you were saved. Positionally, You are as holy as you're ever going to be, positionally. How are you doing practically? There begins the battle. You have now entered into spiritual warfare. I don't have to go look for an army of demons to slay. Okay, I don't have to be Binding and chaining and, and, you know, casting out. I have to look at I am positionally and how do I flesh it out practically? How do I make God's holiness in me visible to humanity? How do I do that? First, repent. Second, Get ready for chastening, for chastening. Listen, God himself has given the church the responsibility of disciplining sinning members. Okay, I talked on this last week. The first instruction Jesus gave the church involved what? Discipline. Matthew's gospel 
chapter 18, 15 through 17. Why? Be holy, for I am holy. See, this is a basic truth that has completely been jettisoned in this day and age. Okay? And, and, and you know what? In the years that I've been the senior pastor here or as an elder here in this, this congregation, we've had to do this a few times. I'll be honest with you. It is not pleasant. All right? And, and, I, and I don't... Uh, I, I hope that I've gotten that all out of the system and that I don't have to do that anymore. The first time I did it, I think that God said, all right, you believe my Bible, then step up. And you're like, you know, I believe you don't have to prove it. So I had to deal with it and, and we dealt with it. All right. But what I've learned is, is that in our community right now, if my message convicts somebody, okay, and they're in an unrepentant, sinful position, and that's what I'm talking about. They know what they're doing is sin. I'm, not, I'm, I'm talking, they know this, that it's wrong. Okay? They refuse to stop. All right? Very seldom will I ever have the opportunity to confront them. They just leave. Okay? Because, see, in our day and age today, uh, the church isn't that big a deal. I mean, you know, I can take it or leave it. But to practice church discipline, the people have to have a love for the body of Christ. You know, one of the things that I was in awe of in my times of teaching in Russia is the immense love for the congregation. I mean, it, it, it was st- when you see at 4 a.m. in the fellowship hall of the church, uh, my room was in this little, it's kind of like over top of a garage I could look down into the fellowship and you see junior high kids teaching middle schoolers and senior highs teaching the junior high every morning at 4 a.m. before they went to school. Really? You see that a lot in here, don't you, in America? Okay, when you're walking around sidewalks, it feels like you're in a trenches because the snow's so piled up and the kids have to walk to school. There are no buses. They walk to school. They walk through the trenches. They go to the church. And I asked them, I said, what are they studying? Galatians. And they're passing it down group to group. Senior high to junior high to middle school. When you see the people come out on a Sunday morning when I don't, I didn't have a thermometer, but it was cold. Okay. I'm not talking, I'm talking, oh, make you mad cold because I only had probably 50 yards to walk to get into the church. And I had a, a, an overcoat on and a suit on. And I tell you what, I felt like a popsicle at 50 yards. And I, I'm like, and, and you're walking through this big piles of snow. And yet they show up before sunrise on Sunday and they don't leave until the last hymn is sung Sunday night. And as, I, as my Russian pastor Boris told me, he says, You in America, you add Jesus to your life. We in Russia, Jesus is life. 
And the manifestation of Jesus in the planet Earth is where? The church. Why? Paul's passion for the Corinthians to be holy. Why? Well, that's God's desire. It's a basic truth that was upsetting Paul that the Corinthians had failed to do. Okay? He was strong. Very strong. Remember, between 1st and 2nd Corinthians, there's a severe letter. And that is a strong rebuke for them not disciplining some for living in unrepentant sin in the church. I'll back you up a little ways and show you. 1st Corinthians chapter 5. 1st Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It is actually reported. That's a present tense verb. It's a single word. And it literally means universally reported. That there is an immorality among you. An immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles. That someone has his father's wife. Now, that's bad juju right there. Okay? Not thinking that through. But read what else. You have become arrogant and have not mourned. Instead, so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in the body, but present in spirit, have already judged him who has committed this. As though I were present. Alright? I mean, the fact that it was going on and everybody knew it. And they hadn't done anything about it. He says, that's a sign of your arrogance. It's a sign of your arrogance. Verses 6 and 7. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven. So that you may be a new lump, just as you were in fact unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Verses 9, I wrote this letter not to associate with an immoral people. Did you hear what it just said? Do I need to do a theological understanding of that verse? What does it say? I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. Do you know what not associate means? Thessalonians, he says, I don't want you eating with them. Why? Be holy for your father is holy. Be set apart from the world. Don't act like them. Don't look like them. Don't talk like them. Talk like me. Act like me. Look like me. Verse 10. I did not at all mean that with immoral people of this world or with the covetous or swindlers or the idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person, covetous, idolatrous, reveler, drunkard, swindler, not even eat with one. 
That's pretty serious stuff there. Pretty serious stuff. And yet I look around and what do I see? Listen, the Corinthians were not unique. All right. Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse six, second Thessalonians three, six. Now we command you, brethren. Okay, did you see the word there? Command. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, not according to the traditions which you have received from us. Verse 7, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you. Verse 9, not because we do not have the right to do this, but order to offer ourselves as a model to you so that you would follow our examples. Verse 10 and following. For then, for even when we were with you, we used to give to you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now, such a person we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in a quiet fashion and eat their own food. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. Be holy for you are holy. He goes on there. Verse 14. If anyone does not obey our instructions in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. In 1 Thessalonians, fascinating text, a phenomenal text that uh, we should all spend a great amount of time in. First Thessalonians chapter 5, 12 and following. We request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you an instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. That's an amazing text right there. You know what he's saying? Appreciate your pastor. And let your pastor know that you appreciate him. Verse 14, we urge you, brother, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. You know what? It's really amazing in that verse right there. It doesn't say elders do this. It doesn't say pastors do this. Who is supposed to do this? Every one of us. Okay, it says here, admonish the unruly. You know what that means? You know what unruly is, right? If you've ever had kids, you've got unruly. Right? You can look at your kids and say, that's unruly. And that's exactly, okay? You are to admonish them. You know what admonishment means, right? Punish them. You punish them. You don't come up and say, well, I understand you had a stressful day. No. You look them right square in the eye and say, turn or burn, baby. Okay? 
you're acting like you're going to hell. Is that really how you want to be seen? That is always effective, I've learned. That's for the what they call, I want a whole lot of lumps, people. You admonish them. You encourage the faint-hearted. Those are such wonderful people. Swoon. And you encourage them. You've seen them. You've all dealt with them. It's the one that God shows them an amazing blessing. And ten minutes later, they're nervous and the world's going to end again. And you try to encourage them. Well, God got you this far. I bet he can get you the rest of the way. And they're faint-hearted. Swooners. Swooners. Oh, I don't know how it's going to... It snowed. It rained. Oh, my God, it's too sunny. Okay? And they're all over the place. They have some information and it's just... Who's supposed to be encouraging them? I know because you said, it doesn't sound like you are, so I guess we're going to have to do it. (laughs) Help the weak. The word weak there in the original language can mean they're physically weak or they're morally weak. Okay, so which one is it? Yes. Yes. You help them. You see a brother who has fallen into a trespass. You who are spiritual do what? Bear the burden. You bear the burden. I told you a case one time. A young lady had fallen into sin. And me and one of the elders went to her house and took her out of the house. And we had a place for her to live. And we, a lady was a single mom. They moved in together. We protected her from the proverbial wolf. Okay, It was a battle. It's a battle. I'll, I'll never not, not say it wasn't a battle. But you help those who are weak. They can be physically weak. They can be morally weak. Usually it's a combination of both. Because watch people. I don't have enough money for this. I can't do that. I can't pick up this. You know, you listen to the stories that you hear that uh, of the people who are working the food closet. Listen to what they say. I mean, gosh, bad luck. You ain't got bad luck. Okay, but it, 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 but you know they're they're down on their luck. But but yet we've had some who've come back later and brought donations. You know, you help me through that part. Why? That's weak. That's weak. But then he uses the greatest phrase of all: "Be patient with everyone." Right. So one thing that I've learned a long time ago, and I'll pass it on to you right now for absolutely free. To never, ever, ever pray for patience. Don't ask. Because I can tell you this right now. It's already on the way. Alright? Not only to the Thessalonians, young Titus who's on the island of Crete. Titus chapter 3, 10 and 11. What a text. 10 and 11 of chapter 3. Reject. You know what the word there originally means? Turn your back on him. 
Turn your back on him. Reject a fractious man after a first and a second warning. All right. Knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. That's pretty harsh. Because for one thing, you've got to confront him once and say, you're causing division. If that doesn't stop him, then what? You tell him again. You're causing division. And if that doesn't stop, what do you do? You turn your back on them. You turn your back on them. I had an incident in here years ago where we refused to serve a gentleman the Lord's table. You know why? He was divisive. He was divisive. Everywhere he went, whoever he talked with, he wanted to be talking to everybody in the congregation. And all he was doing was causing division everywhere he went. He just complained about everything. So I had to finally tell him, no, you can't take the Lord's table. Listen, if we strive for discipline based on God's holiness then we are the one who is obedient to Scripture. If you're obedient to Scripture, then guess what? You're obedient to the Lord of the Scriptures. Okay? So the first thing, when you think about the motive for discipline, why are you disciplining somebody? Why are you pointing out somebody's sin? Listen, there's times they don't know it. Okay? Okay? I mean, let's be realistic. Anybody in here ever had to fight with pride? Good, none of you. That's great. <laughs> you know, lying's a sin too, right? No, but anyway. But the, the, the issue of pride shows up when? Thursday afternoon, right after two. No, at any given instant. It shows up. So if you were going to try to confront people on sin, you're going to be busy on the sin of pride. Okay? But you know what? Pride is broken. It is broken very simply. I mean, we think we have to do it. But the truth of the matter is, you don't. Okay? Now then, if it keeps going... Then you confront it and say, you know, that sounds like boasting to me. Because all you, that's all you have to say. All right? But we have to deal with it. I mean, you deal with it at any given instant. I mean, I don't know if you can be prideful in your dreams. But I, I reckon if you leave it up to us, we can pull that off. Okay, but I, I but but what I'm trying to say, you can't run around and say, well, you're you're being prideful. You're still being prideful. My goodness, the last time I saw you, you were prideful. Okay, because pride will work. Okay, what happens before the fall? Okay, it doesn't say you have to trip them. Okay, it doesn't say you have to make them fall. 
It says, guess what? If they're living in pride, poofta. All right? I mean, if you think about who your Lord is, I'm sure he tolerates pride, right? Because we all have something to boast of to him. Okay? So there, there's times, there's times that in the ignorance of the person, they don't understand it. I remember people running around saying, I'm proud to be an American. How about I'm thankful to be an American? All right? But these are the kinds of things that I want you to think about because when it comes to discipline, you're your own judge. Because you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, and He's going to let you get away with what? Okay? I've seen Christians who are just miserable creatures. And I know what the problem is. I may not know specifically, but I do know that it's unrepentant sin. And the Holy Spirit is doing this. And that will drive you nuts. And you're not the Holy Spirit. There are times that our lives will convict people. Just the way we live will make people angry. I've had people say that about me. They said, well, you live in this, uh, oh, what the heck word did they use? Something tulip land thing. And I thought, you know what? You don't know anything about me. You have no idea of the cesspool that I crawled out of. Actually, I didn't even crawl out of it. God grabbed me by the back of the neck and drug me out of it. And I still found myself at times saying, you know, I like sewers. I feel I'm going to go back there for a while. I was used to the smell. Okay? And yet now, I'd always convinced that my ministry would be with the lifestyle that I lived in. And I thought, that's where God will put me in my ministry. You know where he put me? With Pharisees and Sadducees. Bikers are easier. But those who have a lot of religious training and have their own method and methodologies for how they're going to build the church. And God put me right in the middle and I was like, these people. But remember what it said. Be patient with everyone. And I'll let you go do your own Greek word study to see what everyone looks like. Okay? That's sort of like love thy neighbor. Who's your neighbor? Anybody that ain't you. Okay? So that narrowed it down. All right? So the first motive is for discipline. Is be holy for your father and heaven is holy. Let me tell you something. I heard, uh, what the heck is his name? Pope Francis. Yeah. Pope Francis. I heard that he, he, he's got on whatever he does out there in Vatican City. And he said that uh, Christmas is a charade. And I thought about that for a while. I think he just gets up every once in a while and says, who can I make mad? And so he throws something out and then he gets in his Pope mobile and goes gets a pizza. Part of me has to agree with him. It's funny how we can be so stinking spiritual at Christmas 
and live like the devil the rest of the year. And we wonder why we're not reaching people for Christ. What do we have to offer them? A special Christmas play? Maybe an Easter sunrise play? Or maybe we'll get a rock band. That, that'll that do it. We can get everybody saved. See what I mean? So when the Pope says, you know, Christmas is a charade, then there's a part of me that says, you know what? He might be on to something. I doubt if anybody else will get it. But when I think about it, if we're saying that the only time we show the love of Jesus Christ is two holidays a year, uh, what are we doing the rest of the year? What are we doing the rest of the year? And part of the problem is, is that the body of Christ has not taken to heart the fact that we are to be holy because our Father is holy. Because once that works, guess what? You impact your community. People will see and say, that's different. They're different over there. They may get mad at you. But you know what? They haven't crucified you yet. So keep going. Okay? Let us show the love of Christ that purchased us from the bondage of sin in that holiness and people will want what we have. That's what Jesus did. That's what the apostles did. They didn't want to walk around and say, hey, let's say a salvation message. No, they walked as Christ. And people said, I want what you've got. Why? Because you're different and you have a hope that ain't based on this place. And nobody can shake that from you. That's why Satan wants you stupid. So you act and respond just like the world. And so when the world looks at you, it says, I remember years ago, Decades ago, please, I want to make sure that this. It was before I ever moved to Colorado. This would have been the 70s. I was in business with another guy down in Columbia. This guy was hardcore Catholic. Okay, now he's, he was my business partner. You know, we did a lot together. But he was hardcore Catholic. And I remember one Sunday morning, we had been out all, I don't know how many days. But anyway, a few days. And Sunday morning, he was... Wandering around, and I said, Dave, where are you going? He says, I gotta go find a church. And I said, A church? And he says, Yeah, I said, What? I know what we had been doing. Why do you want to go to a church? And he says, I gotta go to confession. And I said, Dave, the only difference between you and me is you want to get up Sunday morning, and I don't. So I went to bed. Okay? You know, that's going on in the church right now. Okay, listen, people want to say, well, look at the degree of your sin. Hey, listen, sin is sin. There is no degree of sin. Okay, if you've ever had anger in your heart, you've committed murder. If you ever looked lustful, you've committed adultery. I mean, really? Sin is sin. The problem is, is you've been called out of it and I've been called out of it. We are no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness. Let us understand that discipline puts us in the place 
that we look like it. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for uh, the amazing things you do. The removal of passion. Father, the uh, removal of our sin. And that, Father, uh, you can take these earthen vessels, these can waste containers. You can take them, Lord, and make them holy as you are holy. Father, I still stand in awe of that. I still have great a salvation. My King, my Lord, as we go through the process of sanctification, may we understand that discipline is just a step. And Father, we understand the method and the motive. And then, Father, we will move on and understanding on the other side is only Christ-likeness. What an awesome concept. We love you and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.